It is game week. Finally, welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here with our season preview pod, I have interviews with Sean Niehoff, Tyler Ziskin, and William Gardner coming your way. And I'm going to attempt to tackle some questions from CU fans in the mailbag. Uh, thanks to those that have rated and reviewed the podcast. We got some new submissions here recently, which that helps us get this podcast out to more CU fans. You've heard me talk a lot on the analysis videos with Brian Howell throughout the preseason. And uh, I hope you've been checking those out in, as well as our content on buffstampede.com. Let's get some other voices on the podcast now. And then I'm going to be back to share my thoughts later on. We're joined by Sean Niehoff. It's good to have you on here. Obviously, you helped cover CU last year. You have in the past as well, and you're going to be uh, back here and able to get in the press box this year. So excited to, to cover CU with you this fall. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be nice to, to get back in the press box, see things firsthand. And uh, as much as I love doing these Zoom recordings, it'll be nice not to have to do all the, uh, all the stuff off of Zoom postgame. No question. So we're going to be asking you and a couple other participants on this podcast a few questions here. We're going to start out with number one. Give me your your five CU players you're most anxious to watch in the opener. Yeah, I think pretty much everybody's probably going to have uh, B. Lou and Landman on their list, you know, just because of those situations. Um, so I tried to dig a little bit deeper on mine. Of course, I do want to see those two, but uh, I think one of the top ones is, for me is going to be Mark Berry. I think he's one of the keys to the defense this year, um, and I'm really interested to see uh, his progression and and whether or not he can really play from play from the back. Um, I think he's you know he's he's showed in the past that he's got a lot of promise and and can be a playmaker when he's down you know more inside the box. So I'm really curious to see how he's developed on that end because um, safety depth, I think, is one of the the challenges this team has. And then beyond that, really a lot of those new guys that are coming in. Really looking forward to seeing Robert Barnes. We haven't really got a chance to see him much through camp. Uh, so looking forward to seeing him. Max Ray, the same thing, um, and, and helping to fill out that line since we haven't been able to see him participate that much. Um, I'm really excited to see how they use uh, Jack Lamb. He we we have had a chance to see him, and he was he was really active and moved around quite a bit in that first scrimmage. Really flashed and and made a lot of plays. So I'm interested to see how they all those guys fit in. And then just from you know some of the stories we've heard, we didn't get to see Blake Toll early on, but it kind of sounds like um, he's one of those guys that's raw but really has a, a motor. And and you know from some of the stories we've heard, he kind of sounds a little bit like. Uh, like he's in the water boy mold, <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, um, so I'm not sure how much we're going to see of him, but, but I'm really excited to kind of see how he does. And then I could go deep. I'm, I'm just excited for the season to start. I coming out of the Cherry Creek program the last few years, I'm, I'm always excited to see those guys, you know, play. So JBD and Stanley obviously are going to see a lot of time. Uh, it sounds and looks like we may see Jay Lee stacks a little bit. Alec Pell may have a role at tight end. Um, and then it's always fun to see some of the other, you know, bit players, um, you know, Mac Willis, we got to see last year a little bit. Um, Chase Penry's probably a little young, so I don't I don't know if we'll see him. And we even got to see a bit of, of Curtis Appleton last year. And when we did, he, he seemed to play pretty well. So it's always fun seeing those home hometown guys, uh, you know, come out and, and uh, show well. Yeah. And 
Julian Hammond's younger brother, it sounds like, is going to be starting for Creek this year, right? Yeah, yeah. I think they just announced that yesterday that uh, that he's back in the fold and he's going to be starting. So that'll be interesting to see. I always thought that he actually had a lot more natural talent than Julian. Um, just has more natural arm talent, but um, you know, a lot like like Julian. I think he's he's a, a basketball first guy and and also is is kind of on the slight side. Um, so he's a, he's a tall guy, but he's, he's pretty thin. So, but it'll be, it'll be fun to watch him. Cause I got to see him come out when he was uh, in middle school and he'd come out and throw with the high school guys. So. Yeah. You Creek guys you like to stick together. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You said, uh, you're just excited to get out there and see so many of these guys. Uh, give me your, your top reason for optimism going into the season from a CU perspective. Um, you know, one of the, the reasons I'm optimistic, I think, is that there seems to be a real belief inside the program. Um, every year you go through, you know, spring ball and you go through fall camp and everybody's optimistic and you get all the coach speak. But a lot of that always seems to be, you know, feel like it's more hope based. And, and I really get the feeling from, um, you know, from listening to people that there's a, there's a true belief in themselves. I think last year really set the table for them to, to believe that they can, they can surprise some people and that they can be a better team than maybe the outsiders are, are, uh, counting on them to be. But, um, so that's probably the, the top of that list. I, I do think the team has more overall depth than they've had in several years, it feels like they're they're starting to build that out a little bit. Obviously, thin at a couple of spots, but um, that's there. And I know it's still really early, but I'm also really optimistic and excited to see what impact uh, Turley's going to have on this group. It seems like just looking at the you know the the fall roster, uh, it looks like a lot of guys have put on some size. There's it feels like the team passes the eyeball test a little more than they have maybe in previous years, um, and and that toughness. So. I, you know, those are the things that really have me optimistic. What about on the flip side of that? What's the reason, the top reason for pessimism with the CU team? Yeah. Top reason is probably going to be the quarterback situation. I think everybody sees the potential um, in Brendan Lewis, but just that depth and, and knowing that you're, you know, you're a play away from bringing in a true freshman with, with no experience is probably not quite ready to play yet. Uh, I think safety is kind of the same way. Um, some question marks there. Uh, and then the, you know, maybe the overarching thing is just that this, you know, the schedule this year is just brutal. So I think you can have it, you know, the team can, can outperform last year's team and probably be a better team and maybe not, you know, maybe end up with a, a worse record and, and not being able to reach the, the heights that they reached last year. And lastly here, what does CU have to do the first two weeks against what's perceived to be a lesser opponent in UNC and what's perceived to be a superior opponent in Texas A&M? What do they have to do those first two games for you to feel like the Buffs have a good chance of reaching a bowl game this season? When? <laughs> no. Even against A&M? <laughs> that, no, I'm, I mean, <laughs> that would make me feel really good if they won both of those games. Um you know, I think I think against UNC, I expect they're probably going to it's probably going to be a slow start. Um, we've we've talked over the last week, um, you know, a lot about UNC and, and the fact that there's no film on them. Nobody's sure what they're going to be doing. They've got a lot of P5 power five transfers in. Um, so there's going to be some talent there. And I think it's probably going to be a slow start. But for, really, for me, it's about controlling the game. Um 
this is this is one of those games where CU should control it, probably be tight early, start pulling away in the second half. And I, I'll be disappointed if it's not a three plus score game. Um, and and I also want to see out of that uh, to give me a little bit of you know just confidence. I want to see Drew Carter get in that game. I, I want to see the Buffs control it early. I want to see um, some of these guys that where we've got to build some depth. Um, get a get an opportunity to come in and get their feet wet and get a, get used to the speed of the game. So I'd like to see Drew, um, you know, really like to just see them be able to empty the depth, empty the bench um, and start, you know, showing and building some of that depth and, and also just to keep guys healthy. We've got so many guys that have question marks coming back up, off of injuries. So if we can, if we can have them come out, uh, do what they need to do in the first half, early third quarter, and then sit them down for the rest of the game and, and keep them healthy for AM. I think that'll be a big key. Um, from the AM game, I just want to see them compete. You know, I, I want to see, I think one of the biggest things for me is I want to see us battle to at least a draw in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Uh, I think that's going to be a key. And if we do that, um, you know, then I think we'll, I think we'll be competitive. And that's, that's really what I want to see. Keep, Keep Belu healthy. It will be a big key for that. Um, and keep the game within striking distance entering the fourth. I think if you can stay within a score, 10 points uh, in that ballpark at entering the fourth, then then I'll feel pretty good about, you know, where this team is at for the for the rest of the year. It's been catch, good catching up with you at some of these preseason events and uh, looking forward to covering the buffs from Folsom Field this fall. Thanks, Sean. No, absolutely. I appreciate it and uh, looking forward to a, to a fun season. Joined on the line by Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, it's been a little while since you've been on uh, this platform. Uh, how's life been treating you here? Good, man. Happy football's back for sure. It's been kind of a slow transition back into just sports in general, I think, for me. But as we're getting closer and closer to this season, it feels right. Um even though, you know, the game the game we watched today, two teams that aren't exactly what I would describe as talented. But uh, it is nice to see college football back on the television screen for sure. Yeah, we're recording this about an hour after Nebraska lost to Illinois. So uh, it's, it's a good day as we record yeah. this. Tyler, let's jump right into it. First off, give me five CU players that you're most anxious to watch in the season opener. Yeah, the first one for me would be Nate Landman. Um, just simply because I want to see how healthy he looks. I think obviously if he's back to full strength and he's the Nate Landman that we've come to expect, you have to feel a lot better about the defense overall. Um, second one, same side of the ball, Chris Miller, uh, a guy who I think has a ton of talent, but has not really been able to stay on the field consistently at his, at, at least in his tenure at CU. Another guy that I think would really solidify the issues um, if there are any on that. Defensive side of the ball. Um, Max Ray would be the third one for me. Just uh, a, another one like, you know, we've had, the last couple of years we've had pretty good left tackles and it's definitely helped improve the overall line play. And we ran the ball quite well. Um, and I think this year there's a little bit, a hole is probably not the right way to put it because he has a ton of talent, but you just have to see him go out there and make an impact on the field like we saw from Arlington Hambright and William Sherman as well. Um, four would be Levante Chenault, um, a guy that you and I have been high on for a while now. And I think he has a chance to take the next step and become the best wide receiver on this team. Um, 
you know, he's got to stay out of trouble and be smart about those things. But overall, I really like his potential and where I could see him going in the future. And the last one is probably a little bit of a surprise, but maybe not if you've followed me long enough. And it would be Alex Fontenot, um, a guy who I, you know, I think he's capable of having a thousand yard rushing season in his own right. But obviously with him and Jarek and a few of the other running backs that have some talent behind him as well, it'll be very interesting to see how they balance those egos and those snaps and how they're going to use both of those guys. But I think especially if the line plays as well as we think they can, there's going to be a lot of carries to go around. That's a good list there. Give me your, your top reason for optimism around CU football entering this season. Um, I think just in my opinion, the strength of the lines continues to get better. Um, You know, there's going to be some new bodies on both sides, but for the first time in a while, it feels like we have men, uh, you know, in the trenches. And for me, I've always talked about how football is a really simple game and you have to win the line of scrimmage. You have to be able to physically dominate if you want to consistently beat teams. And I feel like we're getting there on both sides of the ball. I feel a little more confident about, about the starting D lineman right now. Um, depth could be a little bit of an issue, but we'll see how it all shakes out. But to, to me, I just feel like our ability to control the line of scrimmage has improved dramatically in the last three or four years. And it's why you're seeing us play a lot much, a lot more competitive football. What about on the other side of that? What's your number one reason for pessimism? I just think it's, it's always tough when you have a new quarterback. Um, I feel pretty good about Brendan Lewis long-term. I think he's going to be a good quarterback. I would have liked to see JT Shroud obviously stay healthy just so that there's competition there because, you know, they, they seem to feel good about both of those guys, but it is really hard. Um, there aren't too many programs out there that are able to throw in a quarterback with little experience and win a ton of games. It doesn't happen that much. And usually the programs that are able to do that have a lot of NFL talent around them. And I think the talent level on this team is certainly improved um, up and down the board, but not to the point where, you know, like they're going to be freshman mistakes. It's just a matter of how many, and we won't really know what we're going to get out of Brendan Lewis until he goes out there and plays for multiple games in a row. And the last one I'm throwing out to everybody is a look at the first two weeks. Obviously the first opponent is a perceived lesser opponent. The second opponent's a perceived a superior opponent. What, what do you want to see those first two weeks or what do you need to see? I guess is a better way to put it to feel like the buffs are going to go to a bowl game. Yeah. I mean, so the first game, honestly, there isn't a whole lot other, other than just win the game. Um, <laughs> you know, like it is week one and it's hard to hard to really point out. Obviously you want to have a dominating performance, but again, how you play in week one really, to, in my opinion, doesn't have a huge impact on how the rest of the year is going to go. Obviously it's a little bit of a, you know, you're going to be able to ease into the season a little bit, ideally with a Northern Colorado coming to town. But for me, you know, it's going to be more about how are we moving around on the field? Are we making smart decisions? Is the coaching staff, you know, making changes at halftime, you know, adjustments? Um, and just in general, does our overall talent level look improved? And are we getting bigger? And in terms of the score, I'm not sure you're going to, learn a lot about the team other than obviously you don't want to lose or have it end up being particularly close. The second game I think is a lot more important. Um, It isn't technically a home game, but you have one of the best teams in the country in your state, right? Like it, 
you know, it's again, not a home game. It's technically neutral, but should be a game that we have the advantage in, in terms of, you know, the altitude and familiarity with the stadium and all of that kind of stuff. So for me, you have an opportunity to really make a statement for the program against an A&M team. So at the very least, you want to go out and prove you belong. Um, you don't necessarily have to beat a top five A&M team, I think, to make a bowl game statement, but you definitely want to be competitive. You want to go out there and show that you're going to be able to deal with some adversity and avoid penalties and, you know, like you want, like you belong on the field athletically and make some, you know, make some plays that make you say, okay, you know, maybe they didn't find a way against A&M, but they can beat most of the teams across the country. And that's really what I'm going to be looking for there. All right, Tyler, appreciate you for taking the time out. Not a problem. Good to talk to you. On the line is William Gardner, football analyst. William, uh, you got a chance to go out to Travis Gray's game with me on uh, Friday. Appreciate that. It was good to get back out there, like we said on our, our video there. Hopefully folks have gotten a chance to check that out. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Live football. Crazy. I mean, actually watching a football game in person. It, it seemed like another lifetime ago that we last were able to do that. So it was a lot of fun being down there on the sidelines um, and watching those kids play and seeing Travis and kind of blown away by how big he was. He lives up to the expectations for size. That's for sure. Yeah. And like we were talking before we hit record here, such a great young man, definitely one uh, that we're hoping develops. And, and certainly he's kind of raw at this stage, but uh, a guy, a great personality, a, a great guy in, in terms of this recruiting class, because he's, going to start helping see you recruit some of those other 2022s. Yeah. And I, I like, I like his, his, his honesty with himself, you know, like one of the questions, one of the things you think, things you asked him, I think was uh, what do you want out of this first game? And he said, protect my quarterback better. And I didn't do a good job. And I like to hear that from a kid who recognizes that he needs to get better. So if he's got the work ethic, you know, I'll tell you, give me that kid every day for an hour for, for three weeks, he'll be a different guy. Uh, so when he gets up to see you working with Rod and working with Turley, uh, I, I absolutely see what the various Power Five conferences are seeing in him, even though on film right now he doesn't look that dominant or impressive. He just doesn't know what he's doing, but he can learn that. All right, let's jump into it with some current team questions here. Which five CU players are you most anxious to watch in a season opener against UNC? Well, the first thing that came to my mind was I, I, I feel like there ought to be a disclaimer insofar as I'm not sure how much we can learn from facing UNC about guys like the couple of guys on my list are Max Ray and Jake Wiley. I don't know if they got anybody on the opposite side for UNC to contest those guys, but nevertheless, um, my first guy, I think everybody's first guy they want to see is Brendan Lewis because our season's going to rest very heavily on how well he does. So, um, Brendan Lewis would be the first one. And then I want to see those two tackles. I was hoping to see Frank Phillip out there, but I'd like to see, I, I expect, I hope I should see Max Ray be absolutely dominant. I don't believe there's anybody on that UNC defense who ought to test him given where he's coming from and the people he's faced already. So that would be another one. And then Jake Wiley, I want to see, you know, we've heard a lot about Jake but we don't get to see him with our own eyes until he plays an actual game. So until I see him out there on the field, there's going to be a little bit of skepticism. And so I'm hoping he lives up to a lot of the, well, I use the word hype that we're hearing coming out of the program um, in that particular game. 
it's kind of hard to narrow it down to five. I guess the next guy I really want to see may sound funny, but Nate Landman, because is he Nate, is he Nate Landman or is, is he Nate Landman with a slowed down, you know, because of injury. And I, I saw the interview with the inside linebackers coach who says, you know, I couldn't have told he had an injury if I didn't know it already. But again, want to see it with my own two lion eyes. And if Nate Lamon is back, then uh, that goes a long way towards our season goals, I think. And then for that fifth one, it's I'm going to have to say two guys: Robert Robert Barnes and Jack Lamb, because those the other if, if those two guys both live up to their expectation as recruits and where they played prior to coming to CU, they could have a huge transformational defense or huge transformational effect on our defense. So those are kind of the guys. I mean, I guess other guys that I considered, frankly, the, the entire starting defensive line, you know, is, is Sammy going to be dominant this year? Is uh, Lang going to take that next step? Is um, Naeem Rodman going to be anywhere near what we lost with Mustafa? Um, the opposite linebacker, opposite Carson Wells, are we going to get the kind of play that I'm hoping we will from those three guys? And then really the other thing to me is I want to see what the two coordinators do. Although I don't know that they'll show as much in that first game, but uh, the, the, those two are as big a question mark as any player on the team. What's your top reason for optimism with CU football entering this 2021 season? Well, I think the very first thing to me is we have more talent across really every position on the team than I think we've seen at CU in a long time particularly at, at like running back and wide receiver offensive line, which means we ought to be pretty potent on offense. Um, I think we have more depth at defensive line, although remains to be seen what kind of level our starters play at. I think we have a lot more guys at, at linebacker. I think we have some really nice looking guys at, at in the secondary. So I think in terms of just the players we have at all positions, and the depth behind them. This is better than I've seen. I I I, I would argue it's, it's significantly better in terms of depth than the 2016 team, um, but we'll see. So that's a reason for optimism for me. I think we have a staff that is super highly professional, and I think that it's very competent at teaching and developing players. And I know that there's a lot of discontent on the board with, with in terms of recruiting, but I think this staff was put together with the first goal of winning football games on Saturdays by teaching players how to play the game and calling good games. So I think we have that. I think we saw that. I think in the first four, I think where that's going to pay off is, is the first four games of last year, we beat teams that we should beat. And then the last two games of the year, we saw where the talent problem comes in. If you're not big and tough and strong up front, um, no amount of coaching sometimes can, can get you past that. Uh, maybe not so much Utah. I think Utah was a function of losing Nate Lamon at the wrong time. But and then I think uh, a big veteran talented offensive line makes a huge difference on a team. It makes a difference on the defense too because they're used to seeing it in practice, and and so that helps them in games as well. And I like that we have a staff that knows how to use the tight end, and that should have a big effect on our offense and really open things up for the wide receivers. So th those are my, I guess you said reason, but those are my reasons. What about on the other side of that? What's uh, your top reason for pessimism? Well, I, it, it's hard to get past the fact that we're CU, man. You know, 
I, I don't want to sound like a whiner, but it just seems like every year something happens. We come in with, with, with hopes and, and those hopes get dashed. So just being the Colorado Buffaloes until things change, it, it's hard to be optimistic, kind of just looking at the season. I certainly get how that goes. I think there are question marks on the defensive line. Um, I think I touched on those a little bit ago, uh, it, you know, between Jalen, Sammy and, um, um, Janaz Jordan, we need to have some dominant play up the middle there. We need to have uh, uh, Terrence Lang turn into a – if Terrence Lang turns into an NFL draft pick caliber guy who dominates games, we're going to win games. Um, and can somebody fill that other spot uh, reasonably reasonably close to Mustafa Johnson? If we get some, If we get some real – good play at both outside linebacker positions. And again, I don't know how much, how often we're going to have two outside linebackers out there, but if we could generate a pass rush, which we've not seen a pass rush at Colorado really since 2016. And, and that was primarily from one person um, that remains to be seen whether we're, whether we're going to have that too. And then I think uh, both of these off both of these coordinators to me are big question marks. Um, I think uh, so far in two seasons as an offensive coordinator, Shiverini has started off like a house on fire. It's wild. Nobody can stop him. They score like mad in those first three, three or four games. And then it seems like maybe they get figured out, or I don't know, maybe in the past it's been depth and they ran out of players. Um, so the coordinator spots and then what will Chris Wilson do? Can he improve on, on what uh, we had last year, which was not too good. Um, and then, I think the two things that we're really still missing on this team until it happens is quarterback play, quarterback depth, quarterback experience. And then we don't have a proven game changing pass rusher yet. And I, until we get, until you have a, a, a guy who can get 10 sacks for you and significantly more hurries, you're going to have problems on defense. So that quarterback, I don't even want to say, you know, if anything happens to Lewis, we could be in real trouble. So that's the biggest, scariest spot on the whole team at this point, I would think. What does CU have to do the first two weeks against a perceived lesser opponent in UNC and what's perceived to be a superior opponent in Texas A&M for you to feel like, feel good about the Buffs' chances of going to a bowl game this season? Well, first of all, I, I – well, let's just answer it the way you asked it, which is I think we need to win big in week one. I don't think we if, if if we go into that like we've done before, like with Hawaii and some of these other teams that we've been facing as openers or even you, we, we faced UNC once before and it was a close game. And, and that was a fairly accurate description of the season. If we can't blow out northern Colorado and I mean, you know, like a 50 to nothing, 50 to seven type blowout. Uh, then we're going to have problems this year because that is by far the weakest team we will face. Um, so I think we need to win big in week one. We need to play a lot of people. We need to not let them hang around. We need to show a killer instinct and we need to not get key people hurt against a bad team because they're a bad team and there's just no sugarcoating that. And then week two, yeah, I like to be the optimist, but I think we just got to survive week two. Don't get beat up. Um, you know, don't suffer an epic, one of those demoralizing, embarrassing losses. You know, you get beat 70 to 10 by Texas A&M and things change. I mean, everything changes. So it has to be something like 
a competitive, like, like when we went to Michigan in that 2016 game and, and we were playing with them fairly well. But quite frankly, I think week three is the game that tells us whether we're a bowl team or not. Uh, Minnesota at home is a must win game. Um, we had we had Minnesota, UCLA, Cal. I mean, those are the games I think that are going to tell us where we're going with this team. Northern Colorado is so bad, and A and M is so good that I really am not sure what we can say. Well, I'll say this: if we go two and zero, we're going bowling. It, it would it would take some kind of an epic uh, uh, face plant not to be a really good team if you can beat Texas A and M. So we could learn something there short of beating Texas A&M. I'm not sure what we learned from those two teams, to be quite honest with you. It's just, they're just such opposites on what kind of teams they are. So that's to me is is week three is let's just, let's get through these two weeks without somebody getting hurt. Let's get a win against Northern Colorado and let's get against Minnesota and see what we got. William, thanks again for coming out to the Travis Gray game on Friday and, uh, Thanks for hopping on the season preview pod here. It's my pleasure. Always love doing it. You've got mail. Thanks again to those three for joining the preview pod. Let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag, and then I'll give you my five players that I'm most anxious to watch in the opener at the end of the podcast. Our first question comes from Twitter, at B underscore Sanch underscore 76, asked, curious how the team plans on building on last year's success. So the first step there would have been Durrell firing Drew Wilson and Tyson Summers after last season and then replacing them with Shannon Turley and Chris Wilson. I think you'd say second step was the roster overhaul, Tyler Lytle, Jaron Mangum, Katie Nixon, Valentin Sen, Nico Pohahau, Antonio Alfano, Austin Williams, Jason Harris, Akil Jones. DJ Oates, KJ Trujillo, Darian Rakestraws, a lot of guys exiting the program. You bring in Max Ray, Blaine Toll, JT Shrout, Robert Barnes, Jack Lamb, Noah Fenske, and obviously their 2021 signees. I think another step forward was just the winter strength and conditioning program, spring ball, summer training program, stuff they really didn't have the benefit of doing in 2020. And I get that other programs were in a similar spot during the pandemic in terms of not being able to do a lot of those things, but it was a little bit different for Colorado just with the new head coach taking over. Another step would have had to be just building better leadership within the program. Darrell has mentioned that their leadership council has doubled in size. So those are kind of the main things that I feel like were the priorities in terms of making that jump from 2020 into year two of the Carl Jarrell era. What will be the results of those four steps? I mean, we're going to see on Friday night and going forward this coming season. At Hollywood T9 asked, Broussard has proven he is the bell cow. How many carries do you see him getting per game? Yeah, Broussard has definitely proven he can be the bell cow. We saw that last year, to your point. Brian Howell mentioned that he ranked second in the entire country in carries per game last season. Like we've talked many times, that just not sustainable the number of carries he was getting per game. Had it been a regular 12-game schedule, there's no way they could have kept that going. And, you know, there's just too much talent in that room. You bring back Alex Fontenot and Deion Smith from injuries. Ashad Clayton's another year in the program. So, 
terms of how many carries do you see Broussard getting per game? I'm going to throw out the prediction. I think that Broussard gets 60% of the carries. Whether that will prove to be a little too high or a little too low, we'll find out. But that's just my personal thought. Barring injury, that it'll be somewhere in that range. CU's backs average 35 carries per game in 2020. That's a pretty high number. If they're at 35 carries per game among those tailbacks again this season, 60% of that would be 21 a game. So to answer your question, I'll guess Broussard averages somewhere between, somewhere around 20 carries per game, maybe 21. At Dob underscore Martinez 744 asked, why does CU suck so bad at landing top 10 in-state recruits? That is because CU has not gone to back-to-back bowl games since 04 and 05. It's not currently the cool thing to do for in-state players to go to CU. Colorado is also a transient state, so a lot of people don't have ties to the flagship university of the state. Not your question here, but uh, worth pointing out that the talent level of Colorado prep players pales in comparison to states like California and Texas. Give me the 150-ranked prospect in Texas over the ninth-ranked prospect in Colorado. That's just my opinion. I talk about this topic way too much. I don't like doing it, so I'm moving along. Trevmon28 from the inside, the herd message board on buffstampede.com asked, what's your current outlook at right guard and the tackle positions. For the opener, I would expect to see Max Ray at left tackle and Jake Wiley at right tackle. And I personally think that Kanan Ray will be their starting right guard. Colorado has not put out a depth chart. I'm just basing that on the fact that Casey Roddick was not cleared medically until right before camp. And he's been working his way back in the mix, but just heard that Kenan Ray was working with the first team at right guard through much of preseason. It would shock me if Roddick is out there starting, uh, especially as the season went along. But again, he didn't get that offseason that most of his teammates did. And then when Frank Phillip returns from his shoulder injury, which is somewhere around kind of when they're going from non-conference play to conference play, it sounds like, He could replace Jake Wiley at right tackle or if Max Ray is struggling at left tackle possibly. Uh, But Coach Rod said he's going to have to go back and battle for that starting spot. It's not going to be just given to him. So certainly Jake Wiley has a a lot of motivation to play well early in the season. Duster for real asked, guesses who leads the team in receiving yards, sacks, and interceptions? Receiving yards is a tough one. I'm going to go Levante Chenault, but not in runaway fashion. I could see a situation where he leads the team in receiving yards and Dimitri Stanley leads the team in receptions. But those are the guys that I expect to be the top two, barring injury. Sacks, I'm going to go Carson Wells. And interceptions, that's a tougher one. I'm going to go with Isaiah Lewis. He had eight PBUs in five regular season games last year. And not to pick on him, but he showed us why he's a safety, not a receiver. I'm just going to expect that he worked on those ball skills and picks off a few of those this year, but certainly 
Christian Gonzalez or Makai Blackman would be pretty good picks there as well. Rove Baby asked, why don't we hear more about slash from Terrence Lang? Well, with Terrence, he was injured during spring ball, and then he was working his way back early on during camp. Sounds like he's ready to go. He definitely did quite a bit of live work this preseason to get himself ready to go. So that's part of it. And he also hasn't quite reached that level of consistency on defense that we've seen from guys like Nate Lamon and Carson Wells. So I think you will hear more from Terrence Lang as the season gets going. And it certainly sounds like, aside from that injury, he's put himself in a good spot in a leadership role. They're going to need Terrence Lang to step up and be more consistent than he was at times. We've obviously seen those flashes. Blue Sky Buff asked, do you think the new transfer rule helps a team like the Buffs more than it hurts? How much effort do you think the staff is and should be putting into recruiting transfers versus high schoolers? That's a good question. I would lean towards it helps the Buffs, but you got to work that portal for it to work for you, right? Jarrell seemed to play the transfer game pretty well this last offseason. I mean, when you compare the guys that left the program and the guys that entered the program, you definitely upgraded at quite a few spots. And then you opened up some scholarships as well. So if they could do what they did with the transfer portal every year going forward, I think you'd generally be pretty happy now. Some of those incoming transfers, we got to see that potential and hype translate into actual production out there. But on paper, it looks pretty good. We know that Carl Drell's preference would be to focus more on recruiting high schoolers and developing those guys over four or five years. But I asked Carl Durrell recently a question about the depth and he said, look, like I, there's no guarantee that a guy that even if I think he should be happy, thinks the grass is greener somewhere else, he might leave. Sometimes that's the case. Other times you see so many guys stuck in the portal, but Carl Durrell also realizes that, he doesn't really have a choice but to play this game. you got to get in the transfer portal if you're going to maintain depth within your program. So I think with that said, especially with NIL, again, I mentioned this on a previous pod, there's going to be a lot of recruits that sign with a certain school thinking that I'm going to get six figures signing with the school with NIL. They get there and that doesn't pan out. They might hit that portal looking for playing time somewhere else. And we saw it with the Robert Barnes and, and a Jack Lamb, uh, you know, there's going to be guys that are going to be seeing see you as a very attractive opportunity going forward. So I think that the portal could end up helping see you more than it hurts. But there's also going to be cases where some guys kind of get washed out. You know, Isaiah Lewis, we had to be patient with his development at CU. He was a breakout player in 2020, but he was kind of buried on the JEP chart his first few years on campus. That's a guy that maybe gets run out because you're having to make room for transfers instead of being able to develop him. So the transfer portal has a lot of negative that comes along with it. But I think as long as CU utilizes it the way they did this past offseason, it can overall be a positive for their depth going forward. Rjack3 asked, would you be on board with the Buffs wearing the powder blue unis for a special commemorative game? No. Just 
and I have to leave that as the shortest answer in this podcast history. Unblockable asked, Adam, if Carl Durrell offered you any jersey free of charge, whose jersey, along with what color scheme, would you pick? For just the jersey, I'm going to go traditional, and I'm going to go with J. Lee Stacks. Give me a J. Lee Stacks jersey. I like that old school football. Bang some heads there in the trenches with a with a full back that can also do a lot of things offensively. I'm going to get get to Jaylee Stacks later on in this podcast. Movie Buff asked, "Does Lewis score more touchdowns in the air or on the ground? More touchdowns through the air by far. I'm going to say Brennan Lewis has 17 passing touchdowns and four on the ground this year." He'll break some long runs, but you start getting down close to that goal line. I think CU is going to want to feed those backs to keep them happy in a loaded backfield. The more touchdowns you can feed those guys, the better for the morale of that room because uh, beyond Jarek Broussard, I think a lot of those guys are going to be fighting for carries and wanting those opportunities. T-Town Buff asked, over under, Drew Carter attempts 10 or more passes against the Bears. Going to have to go under there. Drew Carter is out there. They're going to be running out the clock. and Yeah, you you want to get him comfortable out there. I think just taking those snaps, running the offense, making the call, handing it off is going to be important. Now, I'm sure you want to have him throw a few passes as well. Remember, Steven Montez did attempt 10 passes against Idaho State in 2016. I don't think you can expect to see that this Friday, but it certainly would be Nice for see if June Carter can get out there and, and throw a few around and just get a little feel for what it's like to be out there in a game. G-Town Buff also asked over under on Carson Wells having 10 or more sacks in 2021. I'm going to go under there as well. I do think, as I mentioned earlier, Carson Wells will lead the team in sacks, but he's also going to be a focal point of other teams' game plan. So I think the sacks are going to be a little bit more distributed defensively. That would, if that holds true, leave Jimmy Gilbert hanging on to that title as the most recent buff with double-digit sacks. He did that back in 16. If I didn't get to your question, I apologize. I've already answered some of the ones that were proposed to me over the course of the offseason. And I want to get this podcast up for the morning drive on Monday, running out of time here. If your question is still relevant and I didn't answer it following the opener, feel free to ask it again. Before we close out here, I'm going to give you my top five guys. And I'm not trying to repeat what Tyler, William, and Sean had in terms of their top five guys that are most excited to watch in the opener. I'm going to go out of the box a little bit with some of these. First off, Quinn Perry. He's an inside linebacker that folks are not talking much about if it, if at all, um, new is always exciting. So Robert Barnes comes in as a former five-star recruit. Jack Lamb comes in as a former blue chip recruit from Notre Dame. And those are the guys that people want to hear about. Quinn Perry came in, had a rugby background, junior college transfer, was dealing with some injuries here and there. And from what I understand, he's had a really nice preseason camp. Could even possibly be out there for the first snap defensively against UNC with Nate Landman. So that's somebody that I'm anxious to see. Jaylee Stacks, who I mentioned, I did a story on him here recently. 
just love the old school football. And he went out there a little bit last year, just a real physical guy. I don't know how many carries he's going to get this year. My guess is very few. But when he's out there and I'm watching the replay on Sundays of the game, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on Jaylee Stacks out there. Another guy, Montana Lamonius Craig. I get it. Dimitri Stanley, Levante Chenault are guys that are getting talked a lot about in that receiver room. And Brendan Rice, obviously, is getting talked about a lot. Made some big plays last year. But Montana Lamonius Craig is a guy that I'm excited to see the impact he can make on this team this year. And I think every year he's going to get just a little bit better. And by the end of his career, I wouldn't be surprised if he's leading this team in receiving. So anxious to see what he shows in his second year as a buff. Another guy is defensive lineman Neem Rodman. We heard his name a lot during spring ball. We heard his name quite a bit during camp as well. I think he's going to be out there a ton on that defensive line. He came in coming out of St. John Bosco, played quite a bit as a true freshman. We expected to see a big jump from him in 2020, and that didn't really happen. But it sounds like he's finally made that jump this offseason. And so if he can come out there and not necessarily be an all-conference guy or anything like that, but be a real quality Pac-12 caliber starting defensive lineman, then I feel a lot better about that defensive line group overall. Also anxious to see. Jalen Sami as well. He had an ankle injury last year and shed some weight that he had put on during the quarantine, had to go back home, work in a warehouse, helping out the family during the shutdown time period. So I expect big things out of him as well. And then the last guy to mention here, Drew Carter, because if he's out there in the season opener, that means good things for the buffs. And I think that would be huge for him just in terms of, like I had mentioned a few minutes ago, just getting that comfortability factor of being out there on Folsom Field in the game. So that's my list there. I'm in the works of ironing out the details of exactly what the format of the podcast will look like throughout the season. I think I've got some pretty exciting news to share there. Just want to finalize those plans. But we should be back to a weekly podcast. And I want to get it out to you earlier in the week, kind of like we're doing this week with our season preview pod. I want to get it out by Monday afternoon at the latest. And I know folks are busy. A lot of people listen to this on their commute. But uh, the more days I can get this out before the next game, the better. So I'm going to try to do that. Again, if you haven't done so already, if you could rate and review this podcast, it would be greatly appreciated. The next time we drop a podcast, we'll have some CU football game action to react to. I'm really looking forward to that. Thanks, as always, for tuning in.